As we start out this morning, uh, how many of you have been to the county fair? Now, the county fair is a very unique experience. And you could go, and, and the price of admission is worth it just watching people, right? I mean, if you ever go to the county fair, you never know what you're going to get. But there's all these great things about the county fair. And so you go through, uh, you go through the section of the fair, the food section, right? And it's like, it should be titled like a heart attack waiting to happen, right? You go through, the first stand is, is, is chocolate-covered bacon. Like, can it get any better than that? Then the, the next stand, deep-fried butter. And the next stand, you see Dr. Ben Rodriguez to sign up for diabetes care. Like, it just goes hand in hand. Uh, I'll give you his phone number if you need it. Let me just tell you that. Uh, you go to the, the county fair. I got a c- couple pictures. One of the things you might see at the county fair is you see this first picture. You see a city kid racing goats. Like it just, uh, you see this kind of opportunity. Um, the other thing you love about the county fair is you have the opportunity to win some amazing prizes. Like this prize that would go on the front room of your living room. Uh, best utter in show. How many of you would put that up in your living room, right? Like that's your life dream is to win that award. The other thing that happens, at least for me, is I'm walking around the fair and there comes this tent and it's usually a smaller tent and and, and it's kind of like whatever is behind the tent is a secret and you've got to pay $7 to get in to see it. And it may be something like this. It may be like the world's largest pickle, uh, the world's largest alligator. And it's like they put it behind the tent to make it look like a secret. And maybe some of you have better willpower than I do. But every time I see that, I'm like, I want to see what's behind the tent. It's a secret. I want to I see it. Right? Maybe that's just me. Maybe you're having a conversation with a friend. And maybe they say, hey, I've got a secret, but I can't tell you. And the moment they do, it drives you crazy. Like, you can't say that. You've got to tell me what the secret is. Right? It's just me. Or you go to the bookstore and you see all these books that say the secret towards business. The secret of relationships. And I don't know about you, but I hear that and I think, okay, I want to know. Like, what's the secret? Whatever it is in my life, what is it? I want to know the secret. I want to make things as best as possible. I want to know the secret. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about a secret. I'm going I'm to let you in on a secret. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about margin. We've been talking about how do we create margin in our life? Um, margin, we've def- defined as the difference between what you have and what you need. And so we have certain needs. We have certain levels that we need. And we also have what we have available to us. And margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. And we've said that when, when we live a marginless life, when we don't have margin in our life, and many of us, we don't have a ton of margin. We don't have a ton of financial margin. We don't have a ton of relational margin, spiritual margin, moral margin. We like to live on the edge. And when you don't have margin in our life, what happens almost across the board is that our stress begins to increase and and our relational intimacy decreases. And and, and so as we look at, at, at margin, this is something that God wants us to have in our life. Because God would say, listen, if you have margin, you're going to live where God wants you to live. You're going to not have a ton of stress. You're going to have that relational intimacy that you desire. When you have margin in your life, it gives you the bandwidth that you need to to laugh and to play and to dream. When you have margin in your life, it gives you the freedom to respond to an impromptu opportunity. 
where somebody calls and says, hey, I'm having a rough day. Uh, and instead of saying, well, I don't have time for you, you have the bandwidth to say, hey, let's, let, let's engage. Let's talk. Let's, let's figure this out. It allows us to be present. This morning, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to uh, Mark chapter 2. Uh, Mark is, if you open up your Bible, there's two halves, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, Mark is going to be in the second half of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, the second book. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me as well. But I told you this morning we're going to find a secret to margin. And the secret to us creating margin in our life, a very simple thing is, is called the Sabbath. Is observing the Sabbath. In fact, uh, here's kind of a summary statement for us today. Here's something that when you walk away with, I hope you would understand this. That the Sabbath is a gift from God that creates a regular rhythm uh, of margin and rest in our lives. You wonder what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is a gift from God uh, in order to create a regular rhythm of, of, of creating margin and rest in our lives. The, the idea of the Sabbath, it comes from a very, very, very long time ago, from like the very beginning of time. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, um, Exodus chapter 20, if you know the story of the Bible, in Exodus 20, Moses, who's the great leader, he's led the Israelites out of captivity. They were slaves. Remember, Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then the plagues happen. That's the story of, of Moses. Moses leads the Israelites out of the promised land or out of captivity, out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And then Exodus chapter 20, Moses goes up to the mountain. And if you can picture this, picture Charlton, Char, uh, Charlton Heston up there. And he gets the tablets with the Ten Commandments on those, right? Now, when you think about the Ten Commandments, most of the Ten Commandments, they make sense, right? And so the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And that generally makes sense, right? Because if you do have any other god before the real god, whatever you worship as god, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your money, whether it be your career, your, your identity, whatever it happens to be, if you worship that as god... What's going to happen is it's not going to hold to the weight of your expectations. And eventually, that false god is going to uh, betray you and it's going to destroy you. And so when God gives us this commandment, don't have any other gods before me. Man, it makes sense. Like you could understand it. When, when the Bible says, when the Bible says, hey, don't be a liar. Like we can understand that. Like if we lie, it just doesn't go good for us in work. It doesn't go good for us in our relationships. We can understand it makes sense. When, when, when the Ten Commandments says, leave your neighbor's wife alone. Like, that makes sense. Like, if you want your wife, things going good, that's a good thing. You want your neighbor not to come looking for you, it makes sense. Leave your wife alone. It makes good sense. The commandment, hey, be content with where you are. I mean, that's good. That's things that, that we understand in our life. Of course God would say things like that. But then you come to Exodus Chapter 20, verse 8. And it almost seems like it's out of place. Because in the midst of all these commandments, here's what God says. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And I think that's so interesting. Like, why is God so concerned with our weekend? Why? I mean, why is God so concerned with the weekend? And he, he continues and says, on the Sabbath, you shall do no, you should not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. I think those are called kids. I don't know about that. I'm just checking. 
or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Why is God so concerned with the weekend? I mean, he, he points back to the very beginning of creation. Where the first five days, God created the world. God created the world, the sea, uh, the ocean, the sky. He created all the animals. On the sixth day, God created man. And he gave man dominion over the entire world. Hey, you're in charge of it. You can go and, and, and do what you want in it. On the seventh day, God rested. Why would he do that? Was God tired? Was he tired after doing all that work of creation? Listen, God never gets tired. God is, is, is different than we are. He doesn't need rest. Yet he takes this day of rest. And I want us to understand it. It's not because God needs it, because what God is trying to do is try to set an example for us. He doesn't need the rest. But you and I, we do. We absolutely do. And so here we have this commandment, keep the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath day. But what happens oftentimes, and many of us do the same thing, is, is the religious leaders of that day, they took this, this command that God gave them and they, they turned it into a bunch of rules. They made it ritualistic. And they, they created all these incredible commands for people to say, if you're going to honor the Sabbath, this is what you have to do. In fact, this is what some of those commands were. Because it's a day that you weren't supposed to work. So if you were a tailor, if you were a person who made clothes, who designed clothes, whatever it was, like if you left your needle uh, uh, someplace, you could not pick up that needle and move it on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. Okay? If you were a student and you left your books on the kitchen table and your mom said, get the books off the table, you could not pick up the, your books on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. I, I mean, just incredible. If you were a scribe, if you were a writer, you couldn't pick up a pen because that's work. Check this out. You weren't even allowed to take a bath on the Sabbath. Because you know what happens when you get out of the bath? You step out of the bath and you have all that water that drips down off of you. The, the fear would be that if you took a bath and the water dipped, dropped around, that you'd be tempted to take that water and clean the floor with it. And you'd mop up and, and wipe the floor. And that would be considered work. If there was a candle that was lit, you could not blow it out. If there was a candle that wasn't lit, you couldn't light it. In fact, they took these rules so far that they said, hey, you are only allowed to, t to walk 2,000 cubits a day. You could walk about six-tenths of a mile, and that was it. So I hope you know where you're going, because if you don't judge your distances very well, you're going to get halfway there and be in a lot of trouble. Because you weren't allowed to walk beyond that. It's crazy. To think about taking what God gave us as a Sabbath and creating all these rules for what it looks like for us to honor the Sabbath. Now, probably in our day and age, we probably don't have all of those rules like that. <laughs> but it leaves us to the point where in our day and age, we're kind of like, well, what do we do with the Sabbath? Like we have this thing, God said, keep the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath. And I know there was all those religious rules, but what am I supposed to do with it? Like, am I just supposed to sit and think holy thoughts all day? Like, is it a day that's supposed to be no fun? Or, or, maybe, or, or maybe it's a day um, that I take the boat out on the lake. I mean, is it a day that I'm supposed to go and, and, and enjoy the pleasures uh, that make me happy in life? Maybe the Sabbath is like a day I'm supposed to do my chores and get caught up on the rest of my life. Like, what do we make of the Sabbath? And so this is why I ask you to turn to Mark chapter 2. 
Because Mark chapter 2 is going to give us some clarity on what the Sabbath is, is for, what, why it was created. In Mark chapter 2, starting verse 23, it says, One day on the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields with his disciples. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. They're going through the field, and they're picking the grain because they're hungry. And the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, they were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, remember, these religious leaders made all these rules and said, if you're going to honor the Sabbath, here's what you have to do. And they're saying, hey, why are they picking grain on the Sabbath? They're not allowed to do that. Now, let me clarify. God never said you couldn't pick grain on the Sabbath. You never see that. The religious leaders, they made these rules. They said all these things. And these religious leaders, they took pride in keeping all the rules. And they said, hey, if you're going to be a religious person, you're going to be right with God. You've got to keep all these rules. And you've got to look like a good Christian. They based their righteousness on what they did, on what they do. But that was never what God intended. God never intended uh, his commandments to be a bunch of rules that we have to, to follow like a letter to, like, a, like a, uh, the dot on an eye. Verse 25, he continues, and Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God at the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave to those who were with him. See, here's, here's what I love about Jesus. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, they were experts in scripture. They were experts in the law of God. And here's Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to pull out some scripture for you. And I'm going I'm to tell you how wrong you are by pointing back to the scripture that you're supposed to know. That you're supposed to have memorized. I'm going to point back and say, hey, you got this all wrong. And here's, here's, uh, uh, here's the key. What Jesus says next. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Think about that. Think about what Jesus just said. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath wasn't this thing that men are supposed to do to fulfill and make happy. In fact, the Sabbath was, was given as a gift to man. Now, I recognize, like our world around us, and probably some of us in this room here today, we don't get that. We, we, we don't get the idea that Jesus is trying to accomplish here. You have this idea, and the world has this idea, that, that we obey all the moral laws. We obey all that the Bible says, uh, because if we don't, then God's going to damn us to hell. And if we don't, then God's going to give us cancer. And if we don't keep all the rules, then God is going to send a, a lightning bolt and, and fire out of the sky and burn us to hell because we disobeyed his rules. And this is the way people think that faith works. That there's God somewhere up there and he's like this great Zeus character. And he's got the lightning bolt just waiting for someone to jack with him. As soon as they, boom, I'm coming. I'm coming with judgment. And so we have this idea that if I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to follow God, I've got to try harder. I've got to become better. I've got to obey all of the rules or else I will face the wrath of God. And we have this idea in the world and some of us in here that our devotion to God is based on fear. It's based on fear of God judging us rather than the love of God itself. 
So I want to make this statement. And I want you to hear it very clearly this morning. Heaven is not a place for people who fear hell. Heaven is a place for people who love God. Do you understand that? That heaven is not a place for people who fear hell. It's a place for people who love God. That's why when we do baptisms here at Restoration Church, I'm always going to have a conversation with somebody. Because I always want to know, hey, why do you want to be baptized? Because undoubtedly, we'll we'll have a a little kid come up. And they'll say, hey, uh, why do you want to be baptized? Well, mom said, do you want to spend... time with me in heaven or do you want to burn in hell well it's not hard to decide which one i want to do (laughs) in fact i love this scripture is never meant to be a bad thing it's never meant to be something that drives us to fear in fact david the the great david from the old testament david and goliath uh, four Okay, David says that, that the law, the, the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, all the rules, they are like honey to his lips. In fact, it says that David would, would lay in bed at night thinking about the beauty of the commandments. You begin to think, what is, what is, he, what is he talking about? And here's what you need to understand. Like, like God's commands, the law, are meant to be guardrails for us. They're meant to be guardrails to lead us to abundant life, to lead us into the way that life works best. The, the commandments that we read in Scripture, they weren't made to, to rob us of life. They were made to, to give us life. In love, God said, hey, I'm going to give you these commands because this tells you how life works best. You want things to go best for you? Here's the guardrails. Stay within here. You want life to get difficult? Then go over them and go whatever direction you want. And when we talk about the Sabbath, the Sabbath is just like all those other commandments. You shouldn't lie because it's going to go bad for you. Yep, I get that. You shouldn't cheat on your wife because it's going to go bad for you. Yep, I get that. And you should honor the Sabbath because if you don't, it's going to go bad for you. I think I can get that. The Sabbath is like those other commandments. It's, it's given for our good. It's given for our mercy, for our grace. I recognize this in our society. Like our generation today, we are the busiest generation I think there may have ever been. We have so little margin in our life. And we look at the Sabbath and we think that's not a day to rest. We think the Sabbath is just another day. I mean, so many of us in this room, we are overworked. We are overscheduled. We are overwhelmed with all of the demands on our plate. And we have this constant pressure from our work and from our families and from uh, what we assume is the way we're supposed to live. We have this, this constant pressure to do more, to accomplish more, to fit more in. And then we have all this noise around us. We have the noise of Netflix, the noise of social media, the noise of emails. And our, and our, and our life becomes this, this trying to squeeze one more thing in, one more email, one more appointment One more thing off our to-do list. And that's where our society is. Is it a surprise to you that we are also probably the most stressed out generation ever? That we are the most tired generation ever? That we're a generation who struggles to find peace? Even the same thing plays into our Christianity. We feel like, hey, if I'm a Christian, I have got to be busy doing Christian things, right? 
And so we do that. We go in and we serve our neighbor, and we're, we're active in the church, and, and we're busy trying to focus on the spiritual disciplines and, and doing all these things. And we skip this idea that Jesus just talked about, about the Sabbath. We skip the idea about rest. And here's what you need to understand. That rest, that rest is, is crucial for you and I to accomplish all the other things that God has called us to do. The Sabbath was made as a gift for you. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, the writer says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Sabbath was made as a gift for us to replenish us, to refill us, so we can go and accomplish all those other things that God has placed on us. The Sabbath is supposed to be a, a, a day of rest. A day that we create that margin, that we find that space, we find breathing room in our life. And I want you to understand the Sabbath, it's not just a suggestion. The Sabbath is a commandment. It is something that is necessary for us. We get that. The question is, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I Sabbath? What does that look like for me? Let me tell you, the Sabbath is not just a bunch of rules you have to follow. It's not a list of things you can and cannot do. Again, man wasn't created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for us. And I'm going to go through, I'm going to give you just some general ideas about what the Sabbath could and should look like for you. And again, I'm not giving you hard, fast rules. I'm giving you suggestions, and I'm going to tell you, you need to figure out for yourself what fills you, what gives you a breathing room in your life, what energizes you, what relaxes you, what is rest to you. You've got to figure that out for yourself. Here's some general guidelines, some general principles for you. Number one, the Sabbath is where you don't focus on doing, but you focus on being. Do you understand the difference between the two? That you focus on being present with God. You focus on, on being who God has called you. You focus on that line that we just sang. I am a child of God. I am who he says I am. This is where we begin to say, what does it look like for us to, to recognize who God has, has called us to be? That we begin to worship God with intimacy on that Sabbath day. Now, one of the things we often talk about is we talk about, as a Christian, you should have a quiet time in your life. You should have a time every day that you're in God's word, that you are praying. And, and, and as much as we harp on that, and as much as, as Christians, we know we should have that. So let, let's just call it for what it is. Many of us struggle with that. And we say, I'm, I, I'm trying, but it's a struggle. I think on the Sabbath would probably be the day that we want to carve out some time to get caught up. That we carve out some time to say, man, God, I really want to be in your word. I want to be praying. I want to journal. The Sabbath should be the day that you focus on being present with God. And you take some time to worship him with intimacy. You allow yourself to be filled with, with thoughts of God and the gifts that God has given you. It should be a, a foundational part of our Sabbath. Another thing with the Sabbath. Listen, the Sabbath can happen on any day. We see this through the history of the, of the early church. When the early church, they changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. They're telling us it doesn't matter what day it is. You've got to figure out what day works best for you. We live in a generation that people have different work schedules. So for me, my Sabbath happens to fall on a Friday. It just so happens in my schedule, that's when it fits. What day works for you? 
What is the day that you have chosen to be your Sabbath? On the Sabbath, you should enjoy the good that God has given you. You begin to think through, man, what is all the good that God has given you? And what what begins to fill your soul, to fill your cup? Maybe for you, maybe that means you're going to go for a walk. And you're not going to go to a walk and try and figure out how many calories you can burn and, and try to hit the right calorie goal. But you just go for a walk to enjoy being in the outdoors. Maybe for you, 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 you grab your, 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 some close friends, you grab your family, you go to the store, and you pick out a good piece of meat. You pick out some good vegetables. You go home together and you cook it together. And you sit around the table and you eat slowly. And, and you, you have good conversation and you tell good stories and you laugh together. And then together you, you clean up because you don't want one couple to hate the Sabbath. You clean and you do the dishes together and you enjoy company of people that you love. Maybe for you it's grabbing a book and sitting next to the fire and just reading and hearing the crackle. Unless you have a gas fire that doesn't have the crackle that the wood fire does. Maybe for you, you're going to get coffee with a close friend and say, hey, man, how are things going? Let's, let's just touch bases and figure out how we are doing in life. That's listening to good music. That's going out in the front yard and playing with the kids. That's going out and going for a, a walk just to be in the great outdoors, to breathe and feel the fresh air. Which really, in Yakima, you can't do that over the summer because it's too hot. And then the end of the summer, you get the smoke. So you've got to time that right. You've just got to be outside to, to breathe and, and enjoy the, the air that God has given you. Maybe you like to go for a drive. Again, not a drive to say, how fast can I get there? But just go for a drive at a slower pace. And enjoy the scenery. Enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the people that you can be with. There's a Jewish theologian named Abraham Heschel, and he said this. He said, a man who works with his hands will Sabbath with his mind. A man who works with his mind will Sabbath with his hands. Like, I don't know if that's right, but that sure sounds pretty good, right? Like, if you're busy and you're, you use your head and you're thinking all, isn't it good for you to have a day where you're just like, man, I'm going to use my hands, and that's refreshing to me? Same thing with the opposite. What is it for you that fills you up? What is it for you that, that fills your cup, that energizes you, that restores your soul? Those are the things that you're looking to, to do on the Sabbath, things that will fill you up. Another thing is you look at how to Sabbath, you need to learn to disconnect from what your normal is. To disconnect from normal. Which means on the Sabbath, you need to do everything you can to not think about your workplace. I know for some of you that's hard, but again, the Sabbath is meant for rest. You have to learn to disconnect from what's normal. And let me tell you what, maybe for you, maybe for you, that means that you need to turn your cell phone off. Do you know how ridiculously connected we are in our society? How dependent we are on technology? I know there are some of you who are saying, well, that's not me. I don't have that addiction. Listen, don't you dare judge any of us that are. Because you have your vices as well, right? Listen, I did some researching. An average person, they will check their phone, not when it beeps or buzzes, but they will just naturally check their phone a hundred times a day. We are addicted to connection. We have this uh, 
idea that we have to be available 24-7, and that is incredibly unhealthy for us. This past week, I had the chance to go to St. Regis, Montana. If you've never been there, you wouldn't miss it. It was beautiful. We enjoyed it. There was a, a bunch of pastors that got together for a pastor's retreat. And we talked about a lot of great things. We talked about church health and where our churches are and how we can lead our churches to greater health. We talked about planning churches together. Eastern Washington and Idaho. And it was a beautiful time with these pastors. But one of the lead pastors, his name is Steve Hart. And he's out of Spokane. He made this rule. He said, while we're here, two and a half days, if you check your cell phone, you have to eat a spoon of mayonnaise. And not one of the little spoons. We're talking one of the bigger spoons. You got to take a bite of this spoon of mayonnaise. Can I tell you how incredibly hard it was not to go and check my phone? Because what happens in our society, we're so addicted to the technology that if there's a lull in the conversation, what do you do? Grab your phone. In fact, there's, again, these people who do all this research. There are four people at a table. Okay? You're out with three of your friends. You're sitting at the table. If three of you are engaged in meaningful conversation, the fourth person has this unconscious thing that they feel free to be on their phone. Okay, we have this addiction towards it. Maybe the best thing for you is figure out how to turn your phone off. I know some of you are saying, well, pastor, I'm a really important person. Like, I am really important. I have to rule the universe and be accessible all the time. And you know what I'd say to you while you're counting your gold? I would say that perhaps a Sabbath day where you step back and you keep yourself from believing that you are God and that the universe will collapse if you aren't available. Maybe that would be good for your perspective. Because I'll tell you what, I had two and a half days where I was not on my phone. And guess what? Nothing disintegrated. No kittens blew up. The world survived without me. If the goal of the Sabbath is rest, then maybe for us it means we need to learn how to be off our phone. No clash of clans. No social media. You don't have to live tweet a play-by-play of what your Sabbath looks like. I mean, you ever heard that idea? If a millennial doesn't Instagram their Sabbath, did they really Sabbath? I mean, <laughs> we chuckle about that and we giggle about it. But watch that cell phone. Watch it woo you. Watch it tempt you and call you. It's because we have this addiction to technology. Another thing for your Sabbath, if the goal is, is to have rest and to be refilled, can I just suggest that perhaps it'd be wise to limit the amount of time you watch TV? I mean, I'll just speak for myself. If I'm looking at a day, I'm like, man, wouldn't it be great to lay on the couch and watch TV all day long? But that's not a productive rest. I mean, on my Sabbath, I might watch a movie at some point. I may do something like that. But TV is mind-numbing. And Sabbath is supposed to be life-giving. Sabbath is supposed to fill you up. And there's a difference between a, a productive rest that, that fills you up and a, and a and a life-draining laziness in front of the TV. Again, the idea of the Sabbath, you've got to wrestle through this and begin to figure out what, what, what fills me up. 
Because this is what the Sabbath was created for. It was created for you to enjoy God, to enjoy life in general, to enjoy what God has blessed you with, and to fill your cup, to fill your soul, so that you can go back into the rest of your world and be more effective. And you have that margin. We begin to say, well, okay, why would... I understand that's kind of what it looks like. I've got to wrestle and figure out what it looks like for me. What is the benefit of observing the Sabbath? What is the benefit of me honoring the Sabbath? Three simple things, and then we'll close. When we honor the Sabbath, it will deepen and grow our faith and our trust in God. I mean, we talked about this last week. I know some of you are analytical, and you're really practical, and you're saying, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. Like, like, Pastor, uh, some, of, some in this room, uh, you have to work every day. You're in a season of life where life is just coming at you fast, and you're like, I can't take a day off. And this is where I would say, do you have enough faith that God would save you? Most of us will say, well, yeah, I, I get that. Do you have enough faith that if you gave God a day, that he would multiply the rest of them? I mean, we talked about this last week. We talked about the tithe promise. We talked about where if we would honor God with 10% of our income, that God would multiply that other 90%, and God would do far more with 90% than you and I could ever do with 100%. I mean, that's a a biblical statement. And I would say the Sabbath promise is very similar. If we would honor the Sabbath, if we would trust and obey what God has called us to, to take this day of Sabbath, that God would multiply the effectiveness of the other six days so that we could accomplish more in six than we could ever accomplish in seven. In fact, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a restaurant, a restaurant that is just short of heaven. Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A? I remember a year ago, I got to take Jake to his very first experience of Chick-fil-A. I'm like, Jake, how was it? And he goes, life-changing. Life-changing. Unfortunately, Yakima doesn't have a Chick-fil-A. Some of you, one of you should do something about that. Let's bring it here. But you know what's fascinating about Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A owned uh, by a guy by the name of Truett Cathy. And he has decided, hey, my company, we're going to Sabbath. They're closed on Sundays. And you know what's fascinating about that? Chick-fil-A financially makes more than every other fast food restaurant. McDonald's, seven days a week. Taco Bell, 24-7. And Chick-fil-A outdoes them all. I think God takes our six and multiplies it to accomplish more in six than we could ever accomplish in seven. This morning, maybe for you, just a practical thing that you want your faith to grow. You want to have a, a tighter relationship with God. You want to grow in your relationship with him. Maybe for you, it's the decision I'm going to obey And I'm going to take a Sabbath. Make it a weekly thing. And watch your faith grow exponentially. Another one of these bold statements. That perhaps your obedience to taking a Sabbath or your lack of obedience determines you are actually trusting God or whether you just talk a big game. Maybe it determines whether you are generally a true Christian or whether you're one of those people that Got the bumper sticker. Second benefit if we honor the Sabbath is we get to experience the benefits 
of margin. Again, when we talked about margin, we, we, we said if we have margin in our life, if we have margin, then our stress decreases, our relational intimacy increases, and we have a sense of clarity where all the other areas of our life begin to, to flow a little easier. And I'll just, as we talk about this, let me just give you my own little personal confession. You know, I found the last couple of years, I feel like the responsibility I carry just continues to grow. My family, there's a lot of responsibility there. There's a lot of responsibility in the church. And what I found is as my responsibility has grown, two things have happened. First one, I've, I told you this, I've, I've started struggling sleeping at night. I have a hard time sleeping. And the other thing is I keep telling Sam, oh, Sam, I need a vacation. Sam, I need a vacation. See, when you go on vacation, it's a different pace. It, it, it's something that relaxes you, gives you room to breathe. And I find when I travel, that's one of the things that, that, that fills my cup, that fills me up. And I know the reality of it, the solution for me is not another vacation. The solution for me is not your miraculous pillow that's going to change the way I sleep. Your solution, the solution for me, is not some essential oil that I put on my knee and solves all of my problems. The problem for me is I live a marginalist life. That I have worry. Worry over the weight of my family. Worry over the weight of our church. Worry about the future. Worry about dollars. Worry about all of this stuff. And then I, I read this, Psalm 127. It just kicks me in the pants. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives his beloved sleep. Honestly, I feel the weight of the world and I have this fear of letting go. Because if I let go, if I'm not worrying, who's going to build the house? If I'm not worrying, who's going to watch over my family? If I'm not worrying, who's going to take care of the church? And the psalmist is whispering and saying, God is. God's going to do it. See, the solution is we have to learn how to trust God with our business. To trust God with our family. To trust God with his church. And so for me, I have to learn how to disengage from what's normal. Man, I love y'all. Absolutely. But if you reach out to me, there's a chance I'm going to wait until Saturday or Sunday or a couple days later to get back to you. Because I'm actively trying to grow my faith muscles. Where I, I get this idea, it's no longer about me watching the city. Now it's about God doing that. That I can trust him. He's far better than I am anyways. And I don't have to worry about those things because God's got them. For he gives his beloved sleep and rest. And you know the best thing for me? Is I've tried to wrestle through Sabbath the last couple of weeks. Try to understand that. Man, I tell you what, I've been sleeping better. I'm not longing for a vacation. I have been more connected to my wife and more connected to my kids. And I have had greater uh, energy and excitement and passion for my ministry. 
because I've been forcing myself to practice a Sabbath, to disengage from what's normal, to find rest. The Sabbath, it brings margin. It brings those results that we long for. And you know what happens if we don't observe the Sabbath? You ever had a Sabbath forced on you? You ever go through life and you say, I'm so busy, I can't stop. And then you get sick and you get put in bed for a couple days and you're forced to Sabbath. Or you have a heart attack that stops you in your tracks and forces you to slow down and forces you to cut back. Or you have an emotional crisis that forces you to retreat and find rest. Either we commit to taking a Sabbath or Sabbath will come for you. And Sabbath will force itself upon you. Last benefit of us honoring the Sabbath. The Sabbath is going to point us back and remind us of the cross. The Sabbath is a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, all those other days of the week, we are focused on building. We're focused on on building our business, on growing our business. We're focused on on loving our wife, on raising our kids, on serving the church, on, on paying off the house, on planning for our retirement, of making sure the yard is taken care of. We're focused on, on all those things that we do. And oftentimes we allow our identity to be tied to the things that we do. But again, if we have a day where we aren't, we, we aren't focused on doing, we have a day that we're focused on just being. It points us back to the gospel. It points us back to the fact that what we do doesn't make us right with God. It's what God has done for us. The Bible says that we become a new creation, that we become a Christian, not because we clean up our life, not because we follow all the rules, not because we jump through the hoops, that we become a Christian because of what God has done, because we rest in that. We rest that when Jesus on the cross, he said, it is finished. That is how we become a Christian. And a Sabbath is a picture of that of our acceptance, of our justification before God, not being built on what we've done, but what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Man, there are some of us in this room who are so frantic with all of our religious activity and all of our fear, that we can't seem to get it out of our heads that we have to earn God's love. And it just comes back, and we can't get that out of our head. And when we say, I'm going to honor the Sabbath, it slams the brakes on that idea and points us back to the cross, points us back to what Jesus has done for us. (laughs) Restoration Church, I love you all. But God loves you more than I do. And because he loves you, he has given you the Sabbath. Not something that you have to serve and you have to follow the rules, but he's given the Sabbath to serve you. To give you a regular rhythm of rest, to recharge you, to refill you, to refocus you. It's not a day for you to do, it's a day for you to just be, to enjoy the fruits of God's creation the blessings he has given you. The beautiful thing is when we do this, 
when we do this, we get to know God deeper. We get to know God intimately when we find ourselves resting in Him.